Over the past couple of weeks, we have been in a conversation together on the subject of angels, a fascinating, intriguing topic in itself. We began by exploring the many mentions that the Bible makes of the ministry of, or the, uh, the work of angels, the role they play in God's divine plan. We looked at some of the defining characteristics of angels together and then moved on in week two to think about the message of the angels. And I suggested that the overarching message of uh, God's messengers is that he loves us and that he has a plan to redeem us. And we thought together about many layers of that uh, wonderful good news. Today, I want to close out the series by thinking with you about the ministry of angels. Uh, We've thought, in other words, about what angels are and what they say. The question I want to plumb into this morning is what they actually do, what angels are here for. If um, you are a follower of uh, popular culture at all, then you know that the bookshelves are full these days of all kinds of speculative books about the topics of angels, and there are spokesmen for the subject all around our society. In her particularly popular book, Angels 101, New Age author Doreen Virtue, for example, offers her theory about the role of angels. Ms. Virtue contends that the job of angels is to respond to the needs to help everyone who calls upon them. And, for example, she says, angels will help you when you you need to get a friendly and competent customer service rep when you're calling an airline to book reservations. They will guide you in avoiding long lines at check-in and speed you right through security. Angels will watch over your baggage so that your suitcases are the first ones on the carousel Uh, luggage carousel when you're there to collect it. I could have so used an angel, a travel angel, when I was on spring break recently and flying United. Um, (laughs) As Mrs. Virtue Virtue says and has shared now with millions of Americans through her appearances on programs like CNN and Oprah and The View, the quickest and most efficient route to happiness is through connecting with the angels, she says. So whether you need help with your health, career, love life, family, or any other area, the angels can help you. Are you getting this picture now? Are you understanding how uh, she looks at the role of angels? Uh, According to this one view, angels are essentially a cosmic concierge service. They are a sort of divine Alexa, Siri, and Hey Google all rolled up into one. What do angels do? Well, she would suggest approach the right way. They will do whatever you want them to do. Now, this is just a little bit different from what the Bible seems to teach about the ministry of angels. And I want to invite you this morning to listen to what the psalmist writes on this subject in Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding. 
obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Now, it's important to remember that the writer of this particular psalm is King David of Israel. If there is anyone that is used to being waited upon by personal assistance, who is used to having uh, hot and cold running servants trying to find out exactly what his personal preferences and wishes may be at any given moment and then responding to those. If there's anybody in the world that knows what it's like to have servants that bow and scrape to his every wish, it is certainly King David of Israel. But David is very clear here that when he speaks of angels, he's talking about a completely different kind of servant. He is talking about uh, servants that can only be described as mighty ones, he says. Now, when I hear that phrase, mighty one, I do not picture a chirpy little bellhop. Uh, when, I, when I read the New Testament accounts of the work of angels, uh, for example, when I read the account in the Gospels of how an angel came and rolled away the tombstone that was set in front of the burial place of Jesus, a stone so large that it took four men, groaning men, to, to roll this huge stone into place. When I hear that one angel could roll that stone away, I do not picture a Hollywood wedding planner doing that. Uh, I, I, what comes to my mind is somebody much more like Battalion Chief Wallace Bowden on the hit program Chicago Fire. That's the kind of image that seems closer to the reality the scriptures describe. I imagine this barrel-chested firefighter who is profoundly good but also phenomenally strong and, and profoundly focused. Uh, in other words, I'm sure that a chief Bowden angel is going to be as considerate as he possibly can be of my needs and my preferences, but my comfort level is going to be secondary to his primary devotion, which is fulfilling his mission. What exactly is the mission of angels? Well, going back to the text from Psalm 103, it suggests that the ministry of angels is, one, to do God's bidding, to place God's priorities number one in their lives. Two, to be obedient to his spoken word, to be attentive to what God is saying and asking for, and to obediently do that. And thirdly, to be the ministers, to be the practical hands, the agents that, that conduct or do, do his will. So the implication for this, at least as I think about it, is that if there comes a time when I am badly out of sync with God's will, when I'm out of step with what God has spoken in his word, it will be the job of angels to disrupt my comfort, to challenge my preferences, to shake up my life if needed, to dislodge me from my self-sealed, self-focused perspective and to move me towards the way and the will of God. We see this pattern a lot in the ministry of angels in the scriptures. I'll just give you one really um, familiar example. In Luke's gospel, the prophet Zechariah 
voices a very strong opinion about what God can and cannot do uh, in terms of, of how he's going to bring the Messiah into the world. And the angel Gabriel comes to him and effectively puts Zechariah in a multi-month timeout where his lips are sealed, he's unable to talk. The, the angel comes to Zechariah and says, I'm going to just set you aside, I'm going to disrupt your life and just give you some time to humble yourself before the Lord and to remember that he is God and you are not. So one of the ministries of angels, if we're trying to start to understand that topic, is to challenge us where we may have gotten out of step with God. Doreen Virtue, again, the popular angel expert I quoted earlier, would never imagine an angel doing this sort of thing. She says, and I quote, you never have to be afraid that the angels would ever ask you to do anything that would make you feel uncomfortable. You would never have to be afraid of that. Of course not. Pop culture pictures the angels like personal assistants to the stars, where you get to be the celebrity. No wonder these books are selling out and people tune into these programs. You get to be the celebrity at the center of the universe. The Bible, however, views angels much more like firefighters who will forcibly evacuate you, carry you, restrain you, if that's what it takes to save you or, or to advance a greater good. So the question I want to pose at the beginning here today is who do you and I really want and need on our side? A fawning angel assistant or an angel firefighter? My personal answer to that question is give me a chief Bowden angel any day. In this rough and tumble world, I need that kind of a, of a minister in my life. One sunny June morning several years ago, a member of our church staff was driving on her way to work. She was uh, not that far away from uh, the office, but she began to notice that an acrid vapor had started to seep out through the vents in her car. Moments later, flames could be seen licking up through the hood of her car and then starting to to lick out through the dashboard vents as well. Susan tried to put the window down, as any of us would if we had something like this going on, and it wouldn't budge. She hit the brakes, and she found she had none. She turned off the ignition, and the car just continued to roll onward. As thick black smoke began to fill up the entire cabin of the car, Susan could no longer see. She was starting to choke. And then the car finally came to a stop, she says. I tried to find the door handle, but I was disoriented. And my legs began to burn now that the flames were lapping at them. And I still couldn't find the door handle. And I cried out, Jesus, help me. And suddenly, the door opened. And a woman dressed in white held out her hand to me. And she led me to the median of the road, and I hugged her, and I thanked her for rescuing me. And just then, the car blew up, sending debris into the air, and she hugged me, sheltering me with her body. And I thought, how am I going to afford a new car? 
Might not have been the first thought in my mind. It was honestly what Susan thought. And with that, the woman took my face in her hands and looked at me with the kindest eyes I'd ever seen. And she said to me, Susan, Susan, I promise you everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. As she removed her hands from my face right, Susan, I noticed my purse on the ground. I, I didn't even remember grabbing it from the car, and I turned to thank the woman for getting my purse, but she was gone. And a policeman just then arrived, and I asked if he had seen my rescuer, and he assured me there was nobody with me when he arrived. And I began to cry. I began to cry as I realized God had sent an angel to lead me safely from the fire. King David writes, You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. I have no idea really why an angel was there for Susan that day. I'm glad he was. When he was apparently not there on another day when my uncle was in a terrible accident and he lost his life. I can't explain that. Maybe, maybe in God's perfect plan what my uncle needed was a, a guiding angel to take him someplace else. Uh, rather than the guardian angel that came to Susan in those particular moments. I do believe, however, that angels protect us. They challenge us. They also protect us. Because throughout the Bible, we see the image of angels playing that kind of role in the lives of human beings. Right there at the very beginning of the Scriptures, we see that God posts angels with flaming swords at the gates of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from going back in and causing themselves further harm. We're told that God sent angels to protect Lot from the violence that some men in Sodom were bent upon doing to him. The Lord sent an angel to Daniel when he was in the lion's den to stop and close the mouths of the devouring beasts that could have killed him. God sent an angel into the fiery furnace to spare the lives and protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My wife Amy speculates that if, if we could really see with the eyes of heaven, we would be amazed. We'd look around and we'd see so many angels. She calls them squished angels. I call them singed angels. Angels who took the heat, who took the, the, the brunt of what would have come our way if God's grace was not there in between us and all that could harm us in this life. We would see these spiritual beings simply following the example of the master whose bidding they do, the one master who chose when he saw human being, beings in harm's way to interpose his life upon a cross that we should be spared from further harm. The question I want to ask you today is where are those moments in your life when you could have or should have suffered so much more than you did in that particular moment and could it have been the ministry of angels that was the, dis the difference for you 
or for some loved one that left life in a place of greater hope. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is a story that comes out of 2 Kings in which the prophet Elisha, the successor to Elijah, finds himself in a heap of trouble. He and uh, the people of God are, are facing the armies of the Aramaeans. The Aramean king has, has laid siege to the city uh, in which uh, Elisha and his compatriots are holed up. And as they look out on the scene from the battlements of the city, they realize the situation is utterly hopeless, humanly speaking. The, the size of the army of the Aramaeans is so vastly superior, and they're going to be battering down the walls and the gates of the city. They're going to be overrunning the ramparts any moment. And, and Elisha looks out and suddenly has a vision, and he asks God to enable the people of Israel who were cowering with terror inside of the city to, to have their eyes open to see what he sees. And then suddenly the Israelites have the veil on their eyes lifted and they behold a vast host of angelic warriors and horses. Uh, they see these angels astride chariots of fire. That's the phrase. You've heard it before. He sees the angels uh, coming to them on chariots of fire. And Elisha says to the people, there are more with us than there are with them. There are, there, there's, there's, greater is he who is with us than, than the enemy that threatens us. And it is this vision of the angelic host that restores the courage of God's people to keep on fighting until their victory comes. Here's another part of the ministry of angels that it's important to understand. Angels fight against evil. Angels fight against the evil that harms people, that opposes God's kingdom. And the Bible teaches that one of their most important roles of all is fighting against the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, in the invisible realms that we cannot see. If we could see right now the great battle that is raging in the invisible realm, if we could see the strength, the, the huge volume and number and superior capacity of the angelic warriors fighting that battle, if we could understand how committed they are to putting out the fires of evil, if we could behold the ultimate victory that Jesus promises us, those angels will win, I don't think we would be as prone to despair as we often are today as we look across our times. We would have greater confidence as we went about our lives. So stick close to the cause of Christ, will you? Stick as close as you possibly can to the way of God in your life. Keep fighting for the good in all of the spheres that you enter into each and every week. And remember the words of Elisha, no matter how bad the odds look from a human perspective, there are more with us than there are with them. And be encouraged. This brings me to a fourth dimension of the ministry of angels. Angels also comfort us. 
they comfort us. They challenge us, they protect us, they comfort us. The Bible says that after Jesus had endured a 40-day ordeal of temptation by the devil in the desert, suddenly angels came and waited upon him. They ministered to him. They, they comforted him. Years later, on the night in which he was betrayed, we're told again, Jesus was in a moment of exhaustion and torment as he faced the prospect of the crucifixion. Imagine yourself on the eve of your death by an agonizing execution. And Jesus is in that emotional place. And we're told then, and I quote, that an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. And gave him strength. The word comfort means with strength, to come alongside with strength. Angels are still ministering to people in this way. Susan, the angel said, taking my co-worker's face in her hands, I promise you, everything will be okay. And the angel was right. It turned out okay. Susan's got another car. She drove in, in, in it to work this morning and is working up on the balcony right now, running the, the, the projection we're enjoying in this place. Uh, angels bring comforting messages. What, what could God's angels be saying to you right now to comfort you in some place of anxiety or fear or, or, or turmoil in your life? What would it be that God's messengers would be saying to you, to minister to you, given what you're going through right now. And if you hear that message in your head, this, my friends, may indeed be part of the ministry of angels to you. There's one more true story that I want to tell you today to help us think about an additional dimension of the ministry of angels. Some years ago, a, a 26-year-old single mom found herself in one of the most agonizing, undesirable places that any parent could ever find themselves. She had a, um, a seven-year-old child. Uh, his uh, name was Frank Salazar, though the child's nickname was Bopsy. And Bopsy was in the final stages of a battle with leukemia. The boy ha had dreamed of, of being a fireman one day. Uh, that was his, his great desire and wish. And um, his mom, wanting to try and bring some kind of specialness, some kind of loving kindness into his life during his final days, uh, kept turning over and over in her mind how she could uh, in some way honor and celebrate that wish the boy had to fulfill a calling as a firefighter. So she got this idea to contact her local fire department. They lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and she phoned the local fire station, and she explained the situation with her son, and she asked what they might be able to do to, to present him with one last gift, and I might just say parenthetically, this was the beginning of the movement that became the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Well, the firemen thought hard about this particular request, and at 7 o'clock the next Wednesday morning, a fireman named Bob arrived at the hospital where Bobsey was uh, in care, and he picked 
the boy up from the hospital. He took him down to the fire station. The fire department had gotten from uh, Bopsy's mother, Octaviana, the precise measurements of the boy's little body, and they had waiting for him at the fire station a real fire uniform. I'm not talking about a play costume. I'm talking about the real deal. They had an actual pair of fire boots that fit him. They had a real fire hat. And they put the uniform on him. There were three fire calls that day in Phoenix. And Bopsy Salazar got to go out on all three of those calls. The first one he rode in the fire chief's car. The second one he rode in one of the uh, paramedic uh, ambulances. And the third one he, he got to ride in the hook and ladder and actually helped to steer from the back end, the hook and ladder, on its way back to the station. It was the greatest day of this little boy's life. It was a day of such joy as he was living into his calling. And, and, and the doctors and nurses would later credit that experience for helping to extend the little boy's life three months more. The day came, however, when there was no more extending it. And, and all of the boy's vital signs plunged dramatically and they could, be, could not be reversed and and the boys, the, the head nurse attending uh, to him called in his family members, knowing these were the last moments. She also thought to call the fire chief in town. About five minutes later after her call, the sound of sirens and horns could be heard off in the distance. And, and a little while later, lights could be seen flashing across the ceiling of Bopsy's hospital room from the fire vehicles down there in the street. And then a very long ladder extended its way three stories up to Bopsy's window. And the window opened. And one of the last things the little boy saw were the figures of 16 barrel-chested firefighters coming through his window to be his companions as God took him home. As I said before, I don't know why God doesn't spare us from some of the terrible losses and hurts of life. I have some clues about this I've shared on other occasions and I'm sure I'll speak to on other days. But this much I really believe in because the Bible says it and God's word can be trusted because it has been the experience of Christians throughout the centuries because it's been my own experience. I believe that God loves us. No matter how it looks in a given moment, God loves us. We have just forgotten, as Kierkegaard once said, with what a great love we have been loved. And I believe that he has a plan to redeem us, as the angels are always reminding us. He sends us angels of various kinds to help us remember this God and his plans for us, to help us experience it a bit more tangibly when we might be distracted. These angels, they challenge us sometimes. They comfort us. They protect us and fight for us more than we can ever even see. 
And though we will never actually be angels, God has a better plan for us. His word assures us. Though we won't be angels, their very message, their very ministry is meant to serve as a pattern for us. Hear me on this. This is important. We are meant to put on the uniform they wear. We're meant to get into the boots and put on the coat and put on the firefighter hat. We're meant to play the same kind of role that they play in this world. And we're meant to go out there with whatever time you have left or I have left to do what we can to challenge and to comfort, to, to, to protect and to care for the people in our world, to try and fight fire together in pursuit of God's kingdom, in pursuit of God's best. But one day, in the timing of God, the perfect timing of God, by means of some mysterious conveyance that I find it interesting that God's servant Jacob pictured as a very long ladder. Jacob's ladder, the conveyance system of the angels. One day, God's firefighters are going to come through your window. They're going to come through my window. And they're going to lead us home. They're going to companion us on our way home. The role of the angels may be preeminently, like we see in the story of the appearance of the angels to the shepherds on one starry night long ago, the preeminent ministry of the angels is to lead us to Jesus. To lead us to Jesus. In fact, that is the key sign that who you are meeting is actually an angel. Do they point you? Do they lead you in some way to the person of Jesus? For they will guide us to the one before whom the angels sing in perpetual adoration. And they will invite us to join in that eternal song. Please pray with me. Almighty God, enable us to feel the touch of angels, to hear the voice of angels, and to undertake in our own way and in our own time with the gifts you've given us, the ministry of the angels, that your will may be done that your name may be exalted, that your kingdom may come. In and through us we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.